Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So first off, I am back to school. So already my time is very limited. I hadn't put a, a real video up in a couple weeks because I spent the last few weeks of my summer vacation getting things ready for school. And then as often is the case with me, I am a special education teacher and things, it seems like special education move or change Without any notice, I was told my assignment at the end of last year, and I got an email a few days ago from my department head saying, surprise, there's been some changes over the summer, and you might not be doing what you thought you did. So a lot of the stuff that I planned and put together might not be used. I'm, I'm still waiting to see what I'm doing, and uh, I won't get into it any further, but just know it means a lot of extra work during the, the actual school year. I usually try to prep in the summer. I spent last year, I put together a whole unit. I was doing a, a reading class. It's run somewhat like an English class. And we're working on reading comprehension, strategy, vocabulary, whatever. But I based the whole unit on urban legends. So I spent the entire summer putting together an urban legend unit, writing all the urban legends. I think we did 16, 17 of them. Uh, putting the vocabulary in, coming up with the questions, doing all this uh, videos for some of them, whatever, all of it together. And it was fantastic. And luckily, I'm going to get to carry that over to this year with my freshmen. But we'll have to see if the stuff I plan this summer for my older kids is going to be usable. So if I become a little more quiet, I think I should be able to keep up with the podcast. No problem. That's the thing I'm trying to stick to. But it might be a little while for a real video only because I'm going to be spending some of my weekends and weeknights, well, A, taking care of my tarantula collection, but B, getting prepared for the school year and making sure that I'm in, a, in good shape there. So heads up there. The um, other thing is we're going to go back two episodes ago. I believe it's two episodes ago where I talked about how I care for my feeders and the suggestion about vermiculite came up, keeping crickets on vermiculite. We talked about that and I said, ah, I don't know if I'm going to try it. Vermiculite's kind of expensive. Well, since then I've received comments from a couple people, an email, a couple comments about vermiculite being amazing for keeping crickets alive that I should try it. So we're going to give it a shot. I actually looked it up afterwards. I didn't really search it up before I did the podcast because I just really didn't have any intention of doing it. But after searching it up, I found that apparently a lot of people keep their crickets on vermiculite and it really helps. So unfortunately, the bag that I have, I, I have to buy vermiculite from a local farm supply store and I buy this huge bale of it and mine's almost gone. So I'm going to have to go and pick up another bale, but we're going to try that and I'll definitely report back on that because again, I'm always learning. I'm always open to learning new techniques. And if somebody has been doing this and it works for them, I'm going to try it out because that's been the biggest issue I've had with the crickets is when things get very, very humid here, it's tough to keep them alive. And then one dies and next thing you know, you could be, you know, I'm out at work. They die overnight. Next thing you know, you've got a mass die off. And apparently that vermiculite does wonders in sucking that moisture out of the air, keeping them dry and preventing that, those types of deaths. So fingers crossed, I will definitely report back. I have high hopes because a lot of people that have told me about this have a lot of experience in it. So we'll see how that goes. So our main topic today, I got an email from Raphael and he just basically some of his background, he got his first tarantula when he lived in Brazil. It was 13 years old in 1985. So Raph has been keeping tarantulas for quite some time and he thinks it was probably a wild caught G. pulgra. So I just want to point to that because it amazes me to think that somebody was able to step outside and pick up one of the most beloved species in the hobby in their own backyard and, and catch it as wild caught and keep it. So I honestly, I got hung up on that. I thought that was really cool. But then he talks about how he's moved. He's older now. He's keeping certain species. He's got a family. And there was a, a an issue he's realized with the hobby that he thought should be addressed. And I agree. And it's something I've kind of talked about before, but I don't think I've 
sat down and tried to articulate the issue. So basically, the first part of his email is explaining the fact this isn't somebody that's a quote-unquote beginner. They've been keeping tarantulas for quite some time. However, he points to a problem in the hobby. My message is to express my sadness at how sometimes the term beginner species is thrown around in all the YouTube videos that are out there. Back when I kept tarantulas, YouTube didn't exist. I feel the term beginner tarantulas is used in a condescending way. I'm not a beginner, but instead made an explicit choice out of full knowledge of all their behaviors of what species I want in my collection. Quite the opposite from a beginner, out of extensive knowledge of a vast majority of species, I specifically chose those that match the profile that I am looking for. I have an extensive bonsai collection, too, and a YouTube channel on the subject, and at this time in my life, I like it simple, not complicated. I want dry species, so I have less hassle with humidity. I want non-burrowing species so that I can see them. I want non-medically important venom species having a pre-teenager at home. I want species that have interesting colors and also that I may eventually decide to handle on occasion. So this rant is all to say that for some, the species that are called beginner species are ideal and it's not out of ignorance or lack of experience, but quite the opposite from a position of experience and knowledge. It would be great if you could address this issue in the hobby in a future YouTube video. Kind regards, Raphael. So obviously not a YouTube video, Raphael, and I will send him, he might not be a podcast listener, but I will send him a link to this because sometimes there's just things that are better to do on a podcast because I can go full bore and, and discuss all the different angles where in a YouTube video, it's, it's tough to have the imagery going along with this. It's, it's just not my cup of tea as far as editing and stuff. It's going to be a long video. So what I'll probably do is do the podcast of this and then post on YouTube because I do think it's an important topic and it's one that I kind of battle with some people over. Uh, multiple times during the course of the year posting videos. And again, it usually does come out on YouTube. I do think this is something on uh, YouTube particularly, but also in the way that we deal with beginners on message boards and on Facebook groups or Reddits or whatever. Th these This has been something that's kind of bothered me for a while now because... I think there is a stigma. It's kind of, and it's kind of the flip side of the old world stigma. We talked about. I spend a lot of time trying to get people to give old world species a look. And again, as I've tried to reiterate and reinforce, I'm not telling people you need to keep these. What I'm doing is saying there's a stigma around them that prevents people from getting into them. And I'm trying to get to the root of it, try to explain the truth of it, and show that hey, don't listen to all the hyperbole. Here's the unbiased truth. Now make a decision with that information. And for folks who don't want any, that's awesome. Again, to each their own. But I want folks to be fully aware of that a lot of what you hear isn't necessarily in black and white. I don't want to say the truth because I think for some people it is the truth. But for others, it's it's not. And it's not a black and white issue. So I think just like there's a stigma around old worlds and it prevents people from getting into old worlds, I do think that new that specifically speaking the beginner species and that kind of sucks in a lot of those really wonderful new world species that we'll be talking about in a moment i think there is actually a stigma for those as well that if you keep those you're not a true hobbyist if you keep those they're easy if you keep those they're boring the whole point is to just keep those to leapfrog into keeping something cooler. And that's kind of sad because that's not how I see the hobby at all. That's uh, Although I'm going to admit freely when we get deep into the podcast that this is a ideology that I prescribed to for a little while and I was wrong, I think, in that. But I know that in much the same way that there are folks that are turned off to old worlds because 
of stigma surrounding him. There are folks turned off to the beginner species, which does encompass a lot of the major New World species, just for different reasons. So I've seen this sentiment many times in the comments of my videos. A lot of times I'll put on, you know, I'll post New World species vids and people go, yeah, it's great, but they're kind of boring. I like this and they'll throw on an Old World. That's great. I didn't ask. Like, I'm not telling you, like, that's awesome. That's your opinion. I get comments about, you know, them being boring and pet rocks and I wanted something more complicated. I wanted something more exciting. I get a lot of folks that are like, old worlds are just more exciting. I get uh, hobbyists telling people that until you get into old worlds, that you're not really keeping yet, which I find silly. I get folks telling people that, you know, if you're in just keeping the beginner species, you're not a real hobbyist. They push for people to start keeping old worlds as if they represent some type of an upgrade. And I guess if you're trying to do a work your way up to those, yeah, I guess they do represent an upgrade. It's kind of like you've leveled up. But for people that aren't interested in them, there's not an upgrade. They're just not interested in them. So I will freely admit and have admitted before that I fell victim to this way of thinking. When I first got serious into the hobby, I recognized early on, you know, I learned about old worlds. I recognized early on that I needed to be a little more careful when I got in. I had a family and I didn't want to do anything irresponsible. And I think a lot of us get in until we realize how easy they kind of are to keep. We get into with that mindset that, all right, I got to be very, very careful that I don't end up with this venomous demon running through my house. So I did start with the beginner species. However, once I, I realized I got the hang of things rather quickly, despite the fact, and this is with, you know, considering the fact that. I was still arachnophobic at this point. So despite the fact that I was scared of them, I was starting to get over my fear and I was realizing they were fairly easy to work with. I was perfecting my rehousings. I was comfortable with my rehousings. I used the cup method very early on, which helped greatly. And so what happened is I quickly started migrating over and I grabbed, you know, my first OBT sling. And then I grabbed my first Pisolotheria species was a Pisolotheria, a sexed female, I believe about three and a half, four inches female uh, Pisolotheria vitata that I was A, enamored with, B, slightly terrified of, which is a bad, co could be a bad com combination. I think I've shared the story before, the first time we rehoused her in out of the container I had her in, which was an 8 by 8 by 12 Exoterra Nano Tall. It was my son, oldest son, and I, and you would have thought we were dealing with some type of radioactive monster, how careful, and this thing was perfect. She was a doll, thank God. But as I kept more of these, there was, I will admit, part of it was that thrill. And, and this is not a good thing to admit, honestly. It's not a, a necessarily something that I'm proud of. Part of it was the thrill of working with something that was perceived as dangerous. It was an extra little thrill there. And I'm not an adrenaline junkie by any stretch of the imagination. I've often made fun of folks to get into the hobby for that reason. And that's not why I got these. But there was a little... I. This is where people talk about them being more exciting. When you rehouse, when I rehouse my Grandma Stola Porteri Rosea, I dropped the cup over. I slid a piece of cardboard uh, underneath her. I moved it over to the other enclosure. I put the the container down, slid the cardboard out, and it done. That was it. There was no fear, even though it was a big spider. And there was a moment like, oh my gosh, she's in my hand. We put her in the new enclosure. It was fine. When you have to rehouse a piece of Lotharia, all of a sudden it's like, how do I go about this? I was afraid to even get near it. So that's where that thrill comes from. And I get it. I do. And, and again, I admit to having a little bit of it. It wasn't the whole reason I was in it, but there was that extra excitement. Plus, it was that extra satisfaction when you were done moving one that, wow, I, I just moved my first 
you know, sub-adult old world species. It's, it's these pokies. Everybody said are demons, and I just moved it. And there was no problem. There was some of that. I'll, I'll freely admit to it. But what ended up happening is after I started getting into the old worlds for a while, I ignored anything that had the moniker beginner species. Like, didn't want anything to do with it. If I looked, I was looking at a species, oh, this looks nice. Just much the same way I ignored old worlds at first. I went back and went, oh, this looks nice. Oh, great beginner, cuddly. No, I don't want it. I remember Billy took me to a local pet store in Massachusetts for my birthday once. She was buying me tarantulas for my birthday. And the guy's like, hey, we have an Ecampistratus here, pink zebra beauty. And it was a fantastic price. And I went, oh, that sounds cool. And I turned around, I looked up at my phone and it said great beginner species. And I went, nah, I'm good. I don't want it. I'd rather get this P. Metallica over here and something else. So that's where my mind was at. I ignored, you know, we're just going to call them, let's make up an acronym for this. The gab species, so to speak. The Gramostola, Afanapelma, or Brachypelma. We're just going to say gab because I'm going to say that a lot during the course of the podcast. I moved away from those and just wanted nothing to do with them. It was all about old worlds. I got my H. Gigas. I got my a, a bunch of Pisolotheria species, my OBTs, my Harpactorus species, my Omophimus. Those were the ones I was interested in because they seemed more thrilling, more exotic. And any of those other ones I didn't care about. And it got to the point where I had mentioned this before. I had a vendor contact me. This was a while back and said, hey, I'd love to send you a couple slings. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. This was back when I thought this was a cool thing. And I, I don't do this anymore. Folks know I'm not into taking the free stuff. It's just I'd rather go out and say, hey, you have a great shop. Let me buy some stuff. And he's like, I'm sending a care package your way. And I get the package and I open it up and there was a Brachypelma, a Bamy, and then there was a Brachypelma, which I looked up, I'm like, what is this, classy? And I look it up and I see this thing that the spider that everybody's talking about is a wonderful beginner species. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't want it. I turned to Billy and I'm like, oh, great. I got this beginner species that I don't want that's going to take me 30 years to grow up. I was so, and and I hate admitting this, but I think it needs to be out there. That was where my mindset was at. I didn't want anything to do with anything beginner species because that's, I'm beyond that. I'm keeping these old worlds now and having a great time with them. I have no issues with them whatsoever. I'm talking about them. And that was, that is when my focus started. Well, not my focus, but one of my focuses for the Thomas Big Spider stuff was showing people that old worlds aren't that bad. I, I was just completely not impressed by this spider. Now, just to show you where that ended up, this spider has popped up on several of my favorite spider lists because I absolutely adore it. And that's a big part, I think, of uh, the maturity that a lot of us go through in the hobby is we get to the point where we, folks would look at us, I don't like throwing around expert keeper. I hate when people say you're an expert keeper. I don't see that. I've kept them. I have a lot of experience keeping them. That's it. I don't like the expert moniker. But people will be like, you're an expert keeper. I think a lot of people that people would point to and go, that's an expert keeper love these quote-unquote gab species, these beginner species. So I think it's kind of a shame that there is this stigma around those that I fell into this trap. I know others, I've spoken to many over the courses of the year when I post up a video of like a fauna pelma was a genus I completely ignored. And I have other folks say I did the same thing. I was like, these are boring, they're slow growing. I was doing old worlds and I picked up my first, I'm like, oh my God, they're amazing. So why does this exist? Why does this stigma exist? Because it shouldn't, honestly. It, it And we'll talk about how Many see the hobby and how kind of I see the hobby, but I think part of it is in trying to make sure that new hobbyists don't take old world species 
or more difficult species like the Therophosa too lightly, we've almost created a rigid belt system like martial arts. I've even had folks go, yeah, I've got my black belt. I picked up my first Therophosa species and I like it. I do because I do think that as much as it's not necessarily healthy, that is kind of part of how the hobby is structured and how people see the hobby. I, I get it. I do. It's like you start off in martial arts, you start with the white belt. That means, hey, you just started. I know nothing yet. You're going to start with all the easy drills. You're going to learn how to punch correctly, block correctly. You may learn your, your kata, whatever it may be. And the hobby is very much like this. We have our white belts, our beginners, our newbies. And we say, all right, here's a list of species that you can keep because they're easy to keep. They're not going to hurt you. Their venom isn't bad. They're, they don't have moisture requirements. Here's how to, we're going to practice. We're not going to practice our kata. We're going to practice our rehousings. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then what happens? You, you get your white belt and, they, and then we go, hey, as a hobby, we agree you're ready. You can move on. You can pick up a, maybe a GBB, or if you're already done the GBB, you can you can grab a Formictopus species. How about that? You can grab a Panthobedia species. They're bigger. They grow more quickly. They can be a little more of a handful. Then once you got those out, maybe we'll try, I don't know, Salmopeus, and we'll work up to our purple belt, and oh, you're keeping Salmopeus. Here you go. You're doing a good job. All right, here's your next belt. You can move into old worlds. And now we're into, I've heard people again, many times talk about old worlds being the black belt level of tarantula keeping. It's kind of a running joke with many of us. So we do have, we've created that system, which I think in some ways is absolutely fantastic because it gives people that are new to the hobby, a way to build up. I've, I've talked about the ladder system. I'm, I, didn't quite follow the ladder system. A lot of people love the ladder system. There's nothing wrong with that. I hate when people go, I don't need this. It's stupid. No, it's stupid for you, but for other people, it works great. For people who are extra prudent getting into the hobby that don't want to overestimate their abilities in keeping an animal that they have never kept before that's very different than the furry animals they've kept in the past, I think it's an excellent way to go into it. Unfortunately, it's an unrealistic view of the hobby because when you set it up like that, when you set it up as in its belts, that the gab species, the gramostola, fonopelma, brachypelma species are quote-unquote white belt species, most black belts don't go back and do white belt things. You help the white belts with that. But you see what I'm saying there? So that's where that mindset comes where, why would I go backwards? I've already mastered that. I know how to keep those. Why would I get any more of them? They're boring. And that's where that comes from. And I think it's a kind of a damaging way to look at the hobby. Or I should say it could be damaging if you stick to that too much. I think for beginners, it's a nice way to look at the hobby. I think once you get some experience, you have to get that whole thing out of your head and see the hobby more as a buffet. It opened, we're in this huge place. We're going out to eat. There's, I don't know, brunch, dinner, and there's all these tables set up with all this different food. There's something for everyone. So for folks who want to begin with the, the easier species, they may go to the left where the table is, where there's some of the species like the GABs or the GBBs or the LPs or whatever we're considering quote-unquote beginner species and start over there because that's just where they want to be. There's some folks that maybe feel like they're a little more ready. They go over to the other side of the room and they go to the spicier ones, some of the Theraphosa species, maybe OBTs, maybe Pisolotherium, maybe Salmopeus, whatever it may be. But guess what? everybody's free to move around this place any way they want. Some of the people that are on the table with the spicy ones might go, you know what? 
I feel like something, I, I like that over there. I, that looks good to me. I'm going to go over to the other side of the table where some of the beginners are, and I'm going to grab some of that. It's like someday I'm, I like buffalo wings. Some days I, I don't mind a really spicy buffalo wing, but that doesn't mean that other days I'm not going to go over to the other side and grab the, the mild ones. It's like that. There's just so much of a choice, a smorgasbord, when it comes to which species, what they offer, colors, behaviors, attitudes, venom, arboreal, fossorial, that it's open to everybody at any given given time. Now, before somebody jumps on and goes, Tom's saying everybody should jump right in and grab whatever they want. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for certain people, using that belt system early on is great. For certain people, using a ladder system, starting with beginner species is awesome. I'm just saying when you've got more experience of the hobby, you see that it's not really like that. And when you look at it this way, you don't see it so much as, okay, this is a beginner. I don't want to touch that. You see it more the way that Raphael was talking about, that this is a species that regardless of whatever name you want to attach to it, fits what I'm looking for. It doesn't necessarily make it less than the one on the other side that might have more stringent care requirements, moisture requirements, or venom. That That's the way I see it. So almost the complete flip side of where we do too good of a job of warning people off of old worlds. While we warn people off of old worlds, we also inadvertently kind of make some of these new world species a casualty because people overlook them because they think, oh, I don't want to keep those. People are going to think I'm a baby. I can't do this. So that's, I think that's one way to look at the hobby. I think getting into the hobby in some ways, and I've used this analogy before for those of you that are gamers out there that play open world games. it's one of those deals where you start off, everybody starts off the same location. You've got this open world ahead of you. You can go left and do the tutorials and work your way through, build up your level, start on the easier areas that you can get to and get that experience you need to move on to make the harder levels, the quote unquote harder levels, more difficult levels easier. Or some people are just good off the bat. They jump right into those areas that nobody's supposed to go to. They run right to the hard areas. And because they have more of that background knowledge, more of that information, they do well in it. They're able to build up, but that doesn't mean they ignore the lower areas. They'll come back to those later. I think that's a good way of looking at it, that it's just open to you from the beginning and you as a keeper have a choice where you start, but it's all good. No matter where you start, where you go to, you go back to the same, it's all open to you at any time. So even if you start with the old world species, the beginner species, they're still there. They're still awesome. They just offer a different challenge, a different level of challenge, so to speak. And using that analogy, I can tell you that being somebody that sometimes jumps into the deep end on those video games, you go back to later the earlier areas and you you have just as much fun. Yeah, they're easy, but it's fun. It's fun. You still go through them. You still enjoy it. You meet the characters. You talk. You do the missions. It doesn't detract from the fun of it. And I think that's how we kind of start have to start looking at things a little more I like that. I like that analogy because it leaves it open to the individual. So let's discuss some of the most common slams on beginner species and why they get a bad rep. And I think they're ridiculous. And I always, when somebody says this on one of my videos, I'm always quick to try to politely, usually with a little comedy, hopefully, diffuse that point of view or at least show that I don't quite agree with it. Number one, they're boring and just sit there. I get this all the time. Why would you want one of those? They're pet rocks. They just sit there. They don't do anything. What is the point of having an animal that doesn't move in a week? 
And that's fine. But unfortunately, a lot of the people that are saying this are ones that keep old world species. And I had one guy go, why would you want this? It just sits there. Do it. I keep a C. lividus. Well, let's call it as it is. For the majority of the old world species, they are quite shy and they will either burrow or web or use cork bark. They will use something to hide in. They're generally not sitting right out in the open. And especially when you're talking about fossorial species, if you keep them correctly, you rarely see them at all. So I'm not quite sure how boring can be attributed to, say, a beautiful Brachypelma smithy that's sitting there out in the open, gorgeous spider. Everybody can see it. Now, think about it. You have tarantulas. You're going to be showing them off to friends and family. That's a spider. You can go, there's my tarantula. Now, let's walk over. I'll use my, I don't know, my Selena Cosmia crassipes, for example. I love this spider. Don't get me wrong. And this isn't a bash on fossorial species or old worlds, but I never see it. It's not out in the open all that much. I am going to rehouse it and put it into something that I hope will draw it out a little bit more, but I'm okay with that. But that's pretty boring for most people. Most folks who pick up an animal, imagine you get a fish and you never see it. Most people would be like, why would I pick up a fish? You get a, I don't know, a hamster and it never comes out of its hide. We want to see our pets. So to call them boring because they just sit there is really kind of silly when you consider on the flip side, a lot of the other ones we're talking about, the old world species, are hiding all of the time. Uh, right now, just for an example, I'm looking around my room, and I did this before I started to, took a kind of just a survey of the tarantula room, and almost every single one of my New World species is out in the open. I've got my all my Grandma Stola species right out in the open, my Brachypelma species right out in the open, even my Afonopelmas, the little slings, I looked over, and I'm like, all right, they're going to be the ones that throw this off. They're all, I'm looking at them all right now. They're all out in the open. I can see them all on the shelf right over here. So they're all out in the open. Now, if I look around and look at my old world species, my Harpactera, Harpactera, they're out in the open and that's about it. <laughs> Nobody else is out in the open. They're all hiding. And that's fine by me. But to say one of them's boring because it's visible and doesn't move a lot, I just don't get that line of thinking. The other comment I get a lot about old world species compared to new world species, you get, again, New worlds are boring. Old worlds are more exciting. And I addressed this earlier in the podcast with my own original biases that there was just something when you were early on when I was rehousing an old world species, there was that extra thrill. It got the adrenaline going a little more than new world species because you, you've heard they're fast. They can be, I will use the word, but I'm doing air quotes, aggressive. They're defensive. They, they have nasty venom. So there is a little extra, you know, stress behind it. But I find that funny that that a lot of people consider that a good thing because the most stressful part of the hobby for most people is usually the rehousings. Can you blame people for not wanting to have the extra stress of rehousing a potentially defensive, much faster, much more potent old world? Can you blame them for not wanting to worry about the fact that if they make a mistake, this spider could get lost in their house? could jump out, could bite them, could offer a painful bite. I don't see how that's a plus. If you're into that kind of stuff, sure, obviously. But I don't, that when I rehouse now, I honestly am at the same level, whether it be an old world or a new one. I can honestly say that. And I think that's from years of treating them the exact same way. And for years of going to rehouse an old world and having it act like a perfect sweetheart during the rehousing and then going to do a new world species and having them be little terrors. It doesn't, it, it can happen with any spider. You have some that are calm, some that aren't. I found that old worlds, because of the fact that they try to hide first, are usually a little more 
laid back during the rehousing is a little more predictable because they're going to try to avoid fighting as much as possible. I'm sure somewhere along the lines in their genetic programming, they realize that if something's big enough that it's going to be able to grab it or bite it, by the time they use their venom, they're going to die anyway. So I'm sure there's something in there that's like, at all costs, let's avoid having to get to that point where we have to use it. That's just my thought, oversimplification of it. I'm not saying they're actively thinking, if I bite this guy, he's going to smush me. But I'm thinking that's their last resort. Where if you get New World species, because they're always so visible, they're more inclined to use their defensive strategies. They're more inclined to kick a cloud of hairs. They're more inclined to stand their ground, throw up a threat posture. I get more threat postures from New Worlds than I do my Old Worlds. They're more inclined to throw up the fangs. So that's something to keep in mind. So the idea that that they are more exciting. I get it to an extent, but I don't think it's the right way to honestly look at it. I think you, you should recognize that the old worlds, yes, can definitely prove a little more exciting if something goes wrong, but that's not the way to look at it. Moving on, I have some folks that say that because they are so easy to care for, that makes them like not as good as an old world or a theraphosa or something that requires moisture. And I find that ridiculous as well because people choose things that in terms of what they're ready for, what they want, their comfort level. So just because somebody doesn't want to have to worry about adding moisture and, and maintaining moisture levels in enclosure, that doesn't make them any less of a keeper. That's just their personal preference. Ease of care should not equate less than. Just because something's easier to keep, GBB, one of the easiest things you can keep in the world, it's an amazing spider. Uh, P. Murinus, easiest thing in the world to keep. It doesn't, uh, people love P. Murinus. That, in my opinion, is just a silly way of thinking. As Raphael stated, some folks just don't want to have to worry about this stuff. They're aware of it. They've done the research. They're capable of doing it. It's just something they don't want to worry about. And that's one of the wonderful things about especially the older specimens of the GAB species. We've created a new acronym. I'm, I'm just honestly, I'm just using it because as I was thinking about this in my head, I was thinking about how many times I was going to say Gramostola, Fauna, Pelma, Brachypelma. It's easier that way. But those are the ones where a lot of the ones I see that get sucked into this beginner stigma. The GBB, because it's on the fringe, a lot of folks would consider, consider it an intermediate species, not so much. Acanthoscuria geniculata, no. LP, not really. It's usually those that they're talking about, the beginner species. So th when you're talking about those species, just because they're a little easier to care for, and they are, they're almost bulletproof, who cares? Who cares? If that's what the person's into, that's what the person's into. And then the other sentiment I get a lot, and it's not so much, it doesn't fall in line with the boring part, it's that you're, you have folks out there that'll say you're not really a true keeper until you've kept some of the more difficult species. I've heard folks say you're not a true keeper until you've kept old world species. I've heard folks say, well, you're not a true keeper until you've worked up into the advanced moisture dependent species. And again, I think it's a ridiculous sentiment. That's not true at all. I used to sometimes get this every once in a while. I kept snakes for a long time, dozens of them. And I would have folks be like, oh, do you keep venomous ones? Oh, okay. And it was like some knock on me. No, I, I made a conscious decision that because I had a family and because I just didn't want to take that chance, I did not ever keep and did not ever plan to keep venomous snakes. Did I judge people that did? Absolutely not. I had a couple uh, hobby buddies at the time that I kept in contact with. They kept a lot of them. I loved seeing their collection. They're beautiful. Animals, amazing. It's just something I didn't want to do. Did that mean I wasn't a true... My, these are, uh, I don't know if the term snake keeper or whatever. Well, I would like to think considering I had 40 different species that was raising up for little babies, they're all doing great. I'd like to think I did okay. So the idea 
that you're not a true keeper, that you have to graduate to that level to be a true keeper is ridiculous. That falls in line with what I think is probably not the best analogy where we talk about the black belt level, the white belt level, like levels and belts. Because again, that when you look at it that way, it's stairs. You don't want to go down the stairs. You only go up the stairs. And that's not the case at all. Some people just don't want the extra risk of it. And I completely understand. I do videos all the time singing the praise about old worlds, trying to make folks aware that old worlds aren't as bad as people think they are. I encourage people that if there's any interest, again, only if they're interested to check them out, but I'm not telling people you need to get old worlds. I've had many people come on. Oh, you got to get old worlds. No, you don't. And this is for people who are interested, for people who never want to get an old world. I have somebody, Luke, that's on my, has been following my YouTube channel for years. He's got a lot of old world species. He's like, I'm just not into old worlds. I completely understand and respect that. He is still a keeper. He's been keeping for years. No issues whatsoever. We have to retrain ourselves as a hobby to get away from that mindset because we're inadvertently turning people off to some of the best, spe- what many of us think are some of the best species in the hobby. And that's those beginner species, the grandma stole, the fauna pelma, the brachy pelma, the gabs. That's, and it's a shame when people go on and say, oh, I'll never keep those. They're boring. It just blows my mind. Another comment they get, which I will never understand is I have some people that tell me, and and this one I think is easily dispelled because you could just put up some pictures of them, that they find the old world species to be boring in in appearance. And that, I guess, is just, uh, that comes down to aesthetics. You may find them boring. I don't know how anybody could look at, I don't know, a a sea kind of pubicins and say they're, they're boring looking. Or how anybody could look at a Brachypelma hemorii or Brachypelma smithy, a Brachypelma baimi. They're gorgeous. Even some of the Fonapelmas, I get it. People don't like the earthy tones. I think they're amazing. So that's not one's worse than the other. That's just your personal preference. And there are a lot of the quintessential big brown spiders out there in the old world size. To say, to look at all of the new world species, all the beginner new world species and go, they're boring to look at, they're not very colorful, that's just ridiculous. I think a lot of times what happens is it's people that are into the blue ones and they're so, you know, they see the C. lividus, they see the Pisolotheria metallica and that's their holy grail. They want that big blue spider and then they look at some of the other colors and like, oh, they don't have blue? Forget about it. And that's just silly. And obviously we do have our blue species. We have our C. kind of pubicins. We have our uh, D. diamantinensis. We have the Sosme. We have the blue ones over there. Granted, a lot of those are more on the intermediate side, so I don't know if they'd really be considered beginners, but it I it blows my mind having now several species of a Fonapelma, Brachypelma, and Gramostola, how anybody could look at those and say they're not as attractive as some of the old worlds. I think we have, depending on, there's earthy tone old worlds, there's earthy tone new worlds. There's blue old worlds, there's blue new worlds. There are purple old worlds, are there purple old worlds? I guess there's got to be something that's purple. I can't think of anything right now. There are purple new worlds. There are also new worlds with oranges, reds. Yeah, there's something out there for everyone. Again, we're talking about the buffet analogy. You walk in, you're overwhelmed. Look at them all. They're amazing. They're beautiful. And then you start doing your research and you go, you know what? This is a nice looking spider, but this one's a little easier to care for. This is a beautiful looking spider. Very easy to care for. I'm going to go with this. That's how we should be looking at it. The choices are there in terms of preference, 
And we're talking in terms of preference of appearance and preference of ease of care and preference of setup and preference of the difficulty level. That's all part of it. Just because you pick one of those species that's considered to be very easy to care for, very nice temperament, very visible, that doesn't make it any less than the one on the other side that's not visible, can be defensive if it's caught out in the open and has really potent venom. That's just a silly idea. So I think that's where that stigma comes from. I, I, I don't think, I know, I've watched it for years and I went through it myself. And the truth is, ironically, over the years, I can't tell you how many hobbyists I've spoken to with extensive experience. These are the ones that if folks, if they told folks their background in keeping, folks would point to them and go, that's an expert keeper. I can't tell you about how many of them did the same thing I did. They got obsessed with old world species, kept them for a while, and then suddenly went back, started picking up the beginners or picked accidentally got a beginner and fell in love with them, went back and started buying all beginner species. I spent years buying mostly old worlds and then flipped, and mostly what I buy now is new worlds. So it goes back and forth. It all comes down to preference. And on a personal note, I love when I post one of these videos and one of these expert keepers comes up and says, I did the same thing. I, I got really into old worlds fast. I ignored the beginner species. I went back and started getting some of the ones that would be considered beginner species, and I adore them. I, I keep doing a lot. I've been doing a lot with the Fauna Pelma lately because that was the big genus I ignored for quite some time. I thought they were boring because they could be found on my own continent. I don't know what my logic was there, but I also, they were also considered to be good beginner species. So I ignored them. Then I started picking them up. Now I'm obsessed with them. And I've spoken to many others that are the same way. They have all their old worlds. They've kept the advanced species. They have huge pokey collections. They have huge baboon spider collections. And they also love those gab species, the Gramosola, Fonopelma, Brachypelma. So I think as a hobby, we do a really good job of informing people nowadays of the difference between the quote-unquote beginner species, the advanced species. I think it's awesome. But I think we need to also start changing our mindset a little bit to see that buffet, see the fact that people have a choice. That is part of the choice of getting into the hobby. It's not the only choice. It's one of many choices. The appearance, behavior, the difficulty that we can all, that, that way we don't stigmatize either side of it. If you want something, don't mind something with a little more venom, a little faster, you're not going to see as much, head over to this side and grab your old world. You want something that's going to be a little easier, go to this side. Maybe you've already got some of the old worlds. You're going to go back to this side. It doesn't make it less than. My, I think the wonderful part of the tarantula hobby is that there are so many colors, patterns, behaviors, levels of care, levels of difficulty. There's literally something for everyone. I can't tell you how many folks will contact me. I've, for, I've been studying for years, trying to figure out how to get my first tarantula, and I got this one because this is the one I wanted. I had somebody contact me recently. All they wanted was an OBT. They got an OBT three years on. It's an adult. They adore it. They've had no issues with it. Who am I to judge? Because they didn't start with a beginner species. I've had other people that start with beginner species and they're like, I just love these guys. I love the slow growing fact, uh, the part of them. I love the fact they'll be around forever. There's something for everyone. We need to look at it that way. And just because hobbyists may designate certain species as quote unquote beginner friendly does not mean that these species are only for beginners. It just means when we look out onto that big, again, we walk into this room, big ballroom music playing. There's all different spiders from all different parts of the world everywhere. It just means that those particular spiders over here, for somebody who is looking for something easier, that's one of their criteria they're looking for, 
just because they're a bit easier doesn't mean that they're only for beginners. That's a silly way of looking at it. And I think a lot of us do it. Again, I've thrown myself under the bus for this one. And I think we need to be a little more careful for that in our way of thinking. And I think if you're somebody out there right now that has this mindset, hopefully you come around like a lot of us do and recognize that you're going to be missing out on some amazing animals if you continue marching in that path. And some people, you know what, let's throw it out there. Some people just don't want the new world. It it doesn't appeal to them. And I understand that. I'm not saying, just like I don't tell people you have to get in old worlds, I'm not telling people you have to keep new worlds. I'm just saying that we've done such a good job with this belt system in the hobby that I think because of that, people see... Keeping these species is a step back, and it's not. It's just your taste for chains, or you're expanding your taste. That's the way we should be looking at it. So thank you again to Raphael for the amazing topic, because it is something that I've talked about before. I don't think I've... I actually went back. I was smart enough this time to search the folder that has all my podcast topics in to make sure I didn't cover anything just like this. I know I've expressed these sentiments before, but we haven't covered the actual bias towards New World species. And there is an actual bias. There is a stigma attached to them that they're only for beginners. And that's something we need to kind of work around as a hobby and recognize that, no, you know what? They're all out there. I saw it. What I saw finally when I got to the point where I was keeping some of these old world species and I I realized that the hobby is, and I've tried to say this many, many times, the hobby itself is really not that difficult. I probably shouldn't do that because if I'm going to keep making videos and keep doing podcasts, it's kind of based around the idea that it's difficult to get into the hobby. It's difficult to learn. I don't think it really is. But once I realized that, they all just kind of became one for me. It's just like, what am I looking for in the spider? I like the way this one looks. I like I didn't care about the old world, new world, beginner Uh, advanced stuff. It was all, the whole world opened up to me. And I think that's, again, that analogy I try to come up with, with playing the open world game. You're now at a point where you're leveled up. You're ready to go. You can go to the difficult section. You can go to the easy section. It's all going to be fun. All right. So that will do it for this one. As I mentioned before, unfortunately, again, no video. Oh, last week, I, uh, I, I will share this story. I don't know if I talked about this one before. I was planning on it. I I think I might have left it out of the notes. So if I did, I apologize, but there's uh, there's an update to it. Wintertime. I I took my M. Balfouri enclosure down. I was doing some cleaning, filling the water dish, feeding them. And I found a leg, a kind of mummified, hard leg, not a molt leg, a leg. And I freaked. I was like, oh, no they, somebody's been cannibalized. So I get the thing, and I've talked about this many, many times when I talked about my experiences with my M. Balfouri communal, there is always one that doesn't appear. And what I mean by that, if you have 10 of them in an enclosure, you will only count nine at any given time. If you have five of them in an enclosure, you will only count four at any given time. If you have 25 of them in an enclosure, you'll never see the 25th one. There will always be 24 out. And it drives people nuts because I have people like, I want to dig it up. I think one's gone. And most of the time, I'd say 90% of the time that I've heard of, they're not missing any. It's in there. So I had that in the back of my mind, but I took the enclosure out and I fed them and I waited and I came back up later because sometimes when I feed them, throw the crickets in, I let the, the enclosure sit. When I come back up, a bunch of them will be out eating. There was one big fat one out there. Three kind of thinner ones that looked like they had molted semi-recently, and that was it. And I'm shining the flashlight in. I'm trying to see into the tunnels. There's all, like, it's a, a, 
a maze of tunnels in there trying to see, is there any sign of that fifth one? And I couldn't find it. And I freaked. And I'm like, oh no, this is it. Something went wrong. It finally, I mean, these guys have been together now seven years. They've been adult females for about at least four of those. Never seen any issues. And I'm like, that fat one must have eaten the other ones. So long story short, I came down to a Billy. I'm like, I'm worried. I think I might have to split them up. I think I'll have to do something. I mean, I'm obviously gonna have to share people. Yes, it's worked great for many, many years, but something went wrong. And we've always talked about that with the communal. Like with any animals you keep together, there, something can pop off and you can end up with a dead animal. So I, a couple weeks later, I go to feed them again. And I think that I count five, but I'm going to be completely honest. I was pretty sure that I saw the same spider twice, but I just, in my mind, had it that, all right, you know what? They're all there. Five of them are there. We're good. I came down. I go, I think I count all five, but I wasn't completely sure, and it was driving me nuts. Fast forward to, I think it was last week, I go to clean feed, and I notice that there are three of them out in the open, so I take the enclosure out. I start dropping in roaches, and I see three. Three come out, and then a fourth comes out, and then I'm like, where's the fifth? I'm shining the flashlight. No fifth, no fifth, no fifth, and then I find the fifth, and I can't tell you how excited I was to see those legs in there. All for the fat one had molted. She was now thinner. They're all about the same size. And they're all, four of them are out there right out in the open mouthfuls. I threw in, oh God, about 30 adult male bilateralis roaches. They had like five, six of them in their mouths. And then there was one in the burrow eating by herself. And it made me so, I was so excited. I ran down to a Billy and she's like, but I thought you said there already were five. I said, I, I thought there were, but I wasn't completely sure. This is confirmation. So got the phone out, got some footage of the four of them out in the open, got some footage of the one that was in the thing to prove that all five of them were there and posted it up as a YouTube short. Super excited to be able to, A, I never catch them all out. And B, I haven't done an update in a long time. If you remember when I first got these guys, there were nine of them. Four of them ended up being males. And the males, I only dug out one male body after it died. The rest of them, there's one of them that's mummified, but it's so far down, I couldn't get to it. And the other ones I never saw again, and that leg must have been from one of those mummified males because while they were all eating, I stuck my tongs down the side, finally kind of got to that mummified body and plucked one of the legs off. It was the exact same thing. So that was the story of that. My God, I didn't want to split them up because I love them together. It's one of my still one of my favorite enclosures to take out work with because I love the fact they get along. It just makes me so happy. And it made me so sad to think that one of them might have eaten the other one. But they're good. So all five of the girls are still there. Males are not. They're dead. But uh, that's what it was, a mummified. The reason why it looked mummified and old is because it was mummified and old. So they're all doing great. You can check that up. I posted it as a YouTube short, so it's only like a one-minute video. But you can see all four of them looking great, looking beautiful, getting old. I'm surprised how it's... I'm shocked at how long it's been because that was kind of, that was a uh, something I was really excited to do because when I did my research on M-Balfouris at the time and the communals, a lot of folks would start talking about them and you get like sporadic updates and then they just stopped. And I didn't know were things going great. So they thought it was boring and stopped or did things take a turn? So it was great to be able to put that out there. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like now everybody's got one, which is fine, except that this seems to be the big running theme is to see who can get the bigger and better ones. So it's like 7,000 M. Balfouri in the same enclosure. Like, oh, God. But anyway, it is awesome to watch, so don't regret it that much. That will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can leave a comment on the website, but I was having trouble with the website last week, so if you post a comment last week, 
they should be up soon. I was having some issues with it. Um, Spotify also allows you to comment. I'm not allowed to, able to comment back, but I do post anything good or bad up there so people can see it. Find me on YouTube, thomasbeeksperiers.com. Guys, that will do it for this one. As always, stay safe. We'll catch you next week.